Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Under the Covers with Eve. It's Sunday, November 8th. And this week, I want to talk to you a little bit about depression and how you can deal with it. I'm going to put on my stethoscope for a minute here and give you some medical information. But I'll also talk about what it is, what it isn't, and hopefully clear up some misconceptions about it. I'll explain in layman's terms and plain English uh, what antidepressant medication does for you and some of the other things you can do to cope. Now before I start, I want to make sure you understand completely I'm not offering you medical advice. I'm not a physician and I'm not trying to give you any kind of medical advice. I'm just giving you some information. I strongly encourage you to talk to your doctor about any of the things I discuss in this episode if there's something that you think might benefit you or applies to you. Okay, so <laughs> with that out of the way, let me start here with the medical condition known as clinical depression. Now, we use the word depression pretty freely. We use it to describe feeling down or unhappy or sad, but depression actually refers to a medical condition a disorder with specific symptoms and treatments. In the true sense of the word, it's not just feeling down or sad. It's not feeling bad about a breakup or your dog dying or anything like that. Those are just the normal hits we take in life. That's a normal reaction to an unhappy event. It's healthy and normal to feel sad when something sad has happened to you. Depression is something else. Some of the symptoms of depression are things like sadness that won't go away, um, lack of energy, trouble concentrating, loss of appetite or sex drive, suicidal thoughts, feelings of low self-worth or hopelessness, anxiety, uh, sometimes avoiding social situations, and generally not being able to enjoy the things that you normally do. There can be other signs and symptoms, but these are the more common ones. So if you experience several of these symptoms every day for two weeks or more, that's when it's time to see your doctor about it. Depression can be caused by a lot of different things, which is why it's important to see a medical doctor who can rule out potential physical causes. I mean, having an underactive thyroid gland, for example, can make you gain weight and feel lethargic and, you know, have trouble concentrating, things like that. And that can be fairly easily treated with thyroid hormone pills. Um, if you've had a head injury, damage to your pituitary gland can cause depression, but that's treatable too. There are lots of other potential causes, but the point is it's worth ruling out some physical causes first. In many cases, there is no clear-cut reason or cause as to why someone develops depression. Sometimes life events trigger it, sometimes it just comes about all on its own. Now, there are a few established ways of treating depression. In most people, they have one episode and it goes away, and they never have it again, which is good news. But for some people, it does return. And some people experience such debilitating depression that they really need medical help dealing with it. When this happens, it's, it's very common to treat it with medication. And there are a lot of really effective medications out there nowadays that can really help you. You don't have to treat depression with medication. Uh, in fact, some studies show that going through a, a talk therapy 
program is just as effective at relieving depression as medication is. This is something you and your doctor will decide together. But what I want to do now is just give you a bit of background on what the common depression medications do for you and what they don't do. Because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about depression medication. And I want to clear some of that up. I don't want you to avoid talking to your doctor about this or avoid taking medication based on misinformation or suspicion about what you think it is. Again, whether you go the antidepressant route or not is up to you and your doctor, okay? So, the most common drugs used to treat depression these days are called SSRIs. You've likely seen the commercials on TV, um, heard the brand names like Prozac and Zoloft and Paxil and a bunch of others. But not everyone knows how they work. And a lot of people are afraid that these drugs are like mind-altering things that will change their personalities or turn them into zombies or whatever. And this just isn't true. I want to explain in plain English and layman's terms how they work so that you can forget about these ideas, okay? All right, so here we go. In a very basic nutshell, it starts with our nervous system. I'm sure you've seen drawings of nerve cells and the branches on the ends that look like little trees. And you know that our nerve cells conduct messages, essentially, all over the body and obviously inside the brain, too. And you may even remember from biology class, don't worry, there won't be a test, that the nerves don't actually touch each other. There are microscopic gaps between each nerve called synapses. And so for a message or a signal to cross that gap and travel to the next nerve cell, it needs the help of a chemical called a neurotransmitter, which does exactly what it sounds like it does. It helps transmit the signal from one nerve to another. All right, with me so far? Great. So picture what happens. A signal flies down the nerve and gets to the end of it, and it's basically then ferried across the synaptic gap with the help of the neurotransmitter, right? Great. The neurotransmitter floats over to the next nerve cell and sort of, sort of latches on and delivers the message, and then the message goes on its merry way down the nerve. Great. Message delivered. Now, the body is very good at not wasting anything. So it decides to reuse that chemical, that neurotransmitter, over and over again. I mean, why not, right? It would be really, really wasteful to make these chemicals and then just use them once. So after the message is passed on, the chemical is sort of pulled back over, sort of, <laughs> to the original side, roughly speaking. Remember, this is just layman's terms. Um, I'm simplifying. <laughs> Don't write in. I'm simplifying. Okay. <laughs> so this process of kind of reusing that neurotransmitter is called reuptake. And it's just like what it sounds like. The body just sort of retakes up again the neurotransmitter to use them again. Okay. So here's what they believe happens in people with depression. One chemical in particular called serotonin doesn't get to stay in that synaptic gap long enough. It gets taken up again too quickly, and so it can't do its job properly. Serotonin plays a role in things like mood, appetite, libido, things like that. So if it can't do its job, then these areas are going to suffer. So there's a class of antidepressants called SSRIs, which stand for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. 
because they selectively inhibit only the taking up of serotonin. So it only works on serotonin, nothing else, and it helps keep that chemical in the gap a little longer. And that's all it is. That's all it does. It basically just slows down the body's process of reusing that chemical responsible for your mood. Simple, right? In essence, it's not adding anything to you. It's certainly not changing your personality. Not a hallucinogen or anything like that. SSRIs don't make you drowsy. They don't calm you down, etc. You know, usually anti-anxiety medication does that. But all they do is restore a more normal balance to the natural chemistry of your brain. Now, there can be some side effects to this, usually in the areas that it, it works on, like increased appetite, some sexual issues. These tend to go away fairly quickly. And considering that most people take these medications only for a short period of time, you know, it's usually, it's not that big a deal. Um, they can take a few weeks to start working often, and in some cases there are other medications you have to avoid while taking them, but that's about it. So they're not this big scary thing that people might think they are. You know, you hear jokes about, oh, he's off his meds and stuff. Sometimes um, if we hear a joke like that in the movies or some show or something, it's usually um, a person has got a little more serious um, diagnosis, some kind of psychiatric disorder that requires a little more medical intervention and some different kinds of medications. But I think SSRIs get lumped in with that kind of thing too. So if you and your doctor feel that this is the best thing for you, don't be afraid to give them a try. Um, at the risk of sounding like I work for Big Pharma, <laughs> which I don't, I believe it's worth trying, considering how many people have gotten real relief from it. Um, now, as I said, very often you can get just as much relief from talk therapy. So medication is by no means the only method of dealing with clinical depression. Exercise has been proven to have significant impact on mood. Um, cutting out drugs and alcohol, sometimes even just cutting out caffeine, has been shown to improve symptoms. Things like meditation and yoga and tai chi also help a lot. And of course, having social support and someone to talk to are really valuable too. However you decide to treat it, I want to stress that there's no stigma to depression. It's a very, very common thing. And just because it's happening in your brain doesn't mean that there's any blame or shame or that you're crazy or anything like that. If you wouldn't feel bad about taking medication for a thyroid condition, then you shouldn't feel bad about treating depression either. It's all just part of the body's amazing little ways of screwing up without actually killing us, <laughs> which is a miracle in itself. Okay, so biology lesson over. I just wanted to get that out of the way before I went on to talk about depression in more abstract terms. For a lot of people, what they're going through isn't necessarily a chemical imbalance in their brain. It's more like a continuous state of stress and loneliness or frustration or a kind of sadness that colors their lives and makes them feel kind of hopeless. They look at their lives and they find no joy in it. And furthermore, they can't even imagine it getting better. And that's one of the worst things about depression, or any illness, really. There's, there's an old saying that when you're sick, like when you're ill in bed with a flu or something, in that moment, you can't ever really imagine being well again. 
you know. And when you're well and healthy, you can't really imagine or remember what it's like to be sick. The same is, is true with um, feeling hopeless, you know. You can't imagine not feeling this way. You can't view the future with optimism. But see, your mind, the, the interesting thing is, your mind has an amazing capacity to affect itself and your body. I mean, it, it's beyond amazing. It verges on the mystical for a lot of people. Maybe you've heard of the placebo effect. A placebo is usually used in drug trials um, these days. It's, it's a fake. It's usually a pill that's made up of just sugar, or it's an injection that is just saline, just salt water. There's no actual medicine in it. And researchers give this to people as part of the testing to make sure that the actual medicine really does work. And they usually don't tell the participants that what they have been given is not the real treatment. Sometimes they don't even know, the researchers themselves don't even know whether what they're giving a person is a placebo or not. The amazing thing is that quite often people who take placebos actually start getting better or feeling better or whatever it is that the real medication was meant to treat. And in some cases, the results are completely baffling. Someone was given uh, knee surgery. And they were told they were getting new titanium knees, but in fact they weren't. They were just sewn back up again with their same old knees <laughs> still there. And yet they believed that they had new knees. And so they started walking and running and exercising again, all without the crippling pain that they had been experiencing before. The placebo effect has been noted in so many different areas like Parkinson's disease and Crohn's disease and even the experience of, of pain. It's so powerful that people can suffer drug or hormone withdrawal symptoms, even when they've been taking a placebo for years and not what they think they were taking. And a lot of people believe that the placebo effect is largely responsible for the popularity of homeopathic remedies the ones that readily admit that they contain no active ingredient at all. But people expect it to work, and so it does for them. It really is incredible what our thoughts are capable of bringing about in our bodies, and certainly in our minds. So it stands to reason that if you believe you are hopeless and worthless and have no energy and no future, you will act this way and continue to suffer because of it. I mean, if your belief in a sugar pill can relieve pain or reduce an enlarged prostate, then of course your belief in your lack of worth can make that a self-fulfilling prophecy. And essentially, that's what depression is. You're not depressed because you can't picture a better future. You can't picture a better future because you're depressed. If I could help you see one thing, it would be this. Your perceptions of your life and your future are not accurate if you are viewing them through the eyes of depression. Don't trust the feelings that you get from it. Don't believe what you think you see. I mean, there's never much point in trying to see the future for anyone, but if you are depressed and not enjoying your life right now, you are the last person you should trust when it comes to predicting the future. You're biased. You know, you're under the influence, whatever. You're in no position to forecast what's going to happen to you. Instead, you need to try to be your own best friend for a bit. You know, the guy who would let you crash on his couch if you had too much to drink, you know. You have to remind yourself whenever you start to get 
gloomy about your future, that there is no way you can see it clearly in your present state. So stop trying. Whatever the cause of your depression, whether it's a chemical imbalance that should be treated medically, or whether it's your own self-limiting thoughts that have gotten you here, one of the best ways to deal with depression is to stop thinking long-term for a little while. Start just going day by day, hour by hour, if you have to. You know, as the Navy SEALs said when they get through their training, they go minute by minute. They don't think beyond the next five minutes, you know? Stop giving yourself monumental obstacles to overcome. Start breaking it down into much smaller, much more achievable goals. If you believe that you're depressed because you don't have a job or a girlfriend or you're out of shape or no friends or, or all of them combined, the last thing you should do is tell yourself that you have to fix it all immediately. I mean, who wouldn't just crawl back under the covers with the Doritos bag, you know? It's just too daunting for anyone. And yet this is what most people do, right? They decide to quit smoking and start working out and look for a job all on the same day. And it's disastrous. It's too much all at once. They might be great goals, but not all at once. And not all today, you know? Pick something small, like really small even. It'll be a baby step towards one of those goals. And just do that. It can be anything. If you'd like to be in better shape, make yourself spend 15 minutes walking around the block. Don't go join Gold's Gym for a year and kill yourself bench pressing a car the first day. You know, if you want a job or a better one, start by grabbing a paper or going online and just looking for 15 or 20 minutes. If you don't find something, okay, you'll look again tomorrow. If you want to have more friends, start brainstorming. Are there people in your life that you've lost touch with? Someone you could call or email today. Just one, you know, just a quick email, nothing more. Or if there isn't, just look at meetup.com in your area. See if there are any groups meeting that you might want to join. Just look, you know, spend 10 minutes, just browse. These small things may seem inconsequential, but that's part of why they work. They don't require you to summon all this energy and vitality that you don't have right now. They don't demand that you utterly change your life this afternoon, you know, and they don't even have to lead to anything because you haven't placed all your hopes and dreams for a better life on any one of them. But you are doing something, you know, to improve your life. And when you do that, you start to feel better. You are taking action, even if it is something really, really small. If you can do this for a few days in a row, for a week or two, you'll start to feel some momentum. And you'll feel even better if one of those things you try has some noticeable results. Someone once asked uh, the actor, Michael J. Fox, about his early diagnosis of um, Parkinson's disease. And I remember him replying that it was just his bag of hammers. And, I, and he went on to explain that he imagines things in this kind of metaphorical way, that we all end up having to carry a bag of hammers around with us in life. And you can just imagine how heavy and uncomfortable and awkward it would be to have to haul around a bag of hammers. You know, that's why the metaphor is so colorful and so apt to me anyway. He said that Parkinson's was just his bag of hammers. And maybe depression is yours. You know, the point is, we all have a bag of hammers, and we owe it to ourselves to try to live our lives as well as possible anyway, you know, in spite of it.
And one last thing I want to say about depression in the modern age is that I think it's worth noting that people have never been more entertained than they are in this century. I mean, beside me right now, right here, is a thin little device. Um, not much bigger than a deck of cards. But with it, I can... Okay, here we go. I can phone anyone in the world, text anyone, email, Skype, whatever else. I can read an ebook. I can listen to an audiobook. I can listen to music. I can watch movies and videos. I can play games. I can use countless apps to do just about anything. And I can surf the internet, which in itself is so enormous a thing, so filled with possibilities that I could spend every waking moment on it for the rest of my life and not even scratch the surface. And that's just my phone. That's not the computer I'm working on right now, which has even more capabilities. That's not TV and the cinema and radio and games and music and books and God, everything else. That's not everything out there that's in the city I live in, which offers me even more opportunities to entertain myself. I think, in some ways, we are all becoming almost numb with entertainment, almost like those people in the movie Wally, -E, who float around on those hover chairs and slurp drinks and watch video screens all day. Entertainment is great, naturally, but I think we've lost sight of the fact that it was always meant to be something that we did to relax, to unwind. You know, a counterpoint to work and struggle and achievement. It wasn't meant to replace those things. But I think it has, to a large degree. And I think what might help, if you're really depressed or aimless or can't see much of a future, is let yourself get bored. Turn off everything, just for a few days. When you start to feel uncomfortable, that's a good sign. When your mind gets restless and wants something to do, don't just fire up the game or the porn or the movies or, you know, let yourself be uncomfortable for a while. Let your mind wander and start thinking about things you haven't thought about since you were a kid. Start asking questions about things around you. Go to the library and just walk through the nonfiction stacks and pick up absolutely anything that you find even mildly intriguing. The, the point of this is to shake you out of the rut that you might have fallen into, that we can all fall into, of being so easily numbed by entertainment that we lose our drive and our fascination for things and our interest in the world, our, our passions, essentially. Maybe it'll take you a while to discover something that really means something to you, something you really want to do or achieve or have, or maybe you'll find out that you love... Uh, games or movies so much that you want to make it a profession in some way. Maybe it'll encourage you to get into the competitive scene or go back to school or, I don't know, start volunteering with amateur filmmakers, anything. You just never know where it might lead. So <laughs> that's my advice to you and my, my brief little foray into the world of depression. Um, the last thing I'll say is that I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but things can get better. And you can get through this. I know you've probably heard a million times people telling you all these touchy-feely things like you're amazing and awesome and you're loved and all the rest of it. And I just know from experience that that doesn't often 
reach. What you need is, is a real sense of direction. You need a real rational belief that you can get out of this. So I hope some of the things I've talked about in this episode might have given you a little inkling of that. Thank you for joining me again. And as always, I love hearing from you guys. So please don't be afraid to write in, message me, comment, you know, send me ideas for future shows. I hope you enjoy your week. And please come back next week for another episode. Take care. Bye.